thankful this morning for his love for me. How about you? Amen. Praise the Lord for his love. The preaching of God's word today will be in the gospel according to Mark chapter 7 once again. So please join me in Mark chapter 7. Does anyone ever struggle with feeling self-conscious about things? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, just a few of you. Yesterday, as I was getting ready to leave the house, I made the mistake of I was getting ready to trim my beard, and I had the setting wrong, and I started to do the mustache part, and I realized that it was way too short. The setting was, and I stood there and looked in the mirror for a moment, and I was like, can't do it beard with no mustache it just doesn't work it's just weird and I walked out of the restroom and Stephanie was in the room and I showed her and she laughed so that was that so I went in and finished shaving everything off and came out to the kitchen area where the girls were already set eating and doing and so on and Brooklyn looks at me with a quizzical look and says, Daddy, you look different. And Eva figured it out quickly. She said, it's because Daddy shaved his beard off. And they laughed. And I said, do you like Daddy better with or without his beard? And Eva said, with. And I asked Brooklyn, I said, do you like Daddy with his beard or without his beard? And she said, well, now with. <laughs> so if you know a trick to get beards to grow in quickly, please share. I, that would be great. Do you ever feel disconnected or distant from God? Ever times in your life where you just go into a day or something happens during the day and it leads to you feeling like you're disconnected, you're distant, or the God is disconnected and distant. Now, I'm going to just open up a little bit. You think, and I only say this because people have said it to me. My pastor doesn't know what that feels like. This morning, we do, I do. I woke up this morning, and just waking up this morning, I started crying out to God because I felt disconnected. I, I said to God, God, it feels like there's a wall between us, and I don't know what it is. And usually when that happens for me, it's on Sundays. Just being honest with you. And I don't know if it's because of this message that we're looking at today, or if it's something else, but this morning I want you to know that there are times in my life like yours when that is true. But the message that God has for us today, I've simply entitled, and it comes from verse 37 of this text, All Things Well. We read here in this text that through the events that unfold, it was testified of Jesus that he does all things well. And I want you to know this morning as we look to the Word of God, 
that we have a God and a Savior who does all things well. Whatever has unfolded to this point in your life, because if we are in thought about it, and if we converse with each other about it, as we look back over the years and the experiences of our lives, we would recognize and admit that there have been some difficulties. We might even say at this point in our lives, life is hard. Life has been hard. We may think back to certain experiences, and there may be some here today, that some experience has already come to your mind. It may be the place you find yourself in right this very moment. And it's hard. And it might be difficult to see. But we have a Savior who does all things well. In our text... Jesus has moved from the area of Tyre Sidon where he conversed with the woman whose daughter was possessed of a devil to the Roman region called Decapolis. In Matthew's record of the gospel, he tells us in general terms of his ministry there. We read this in Matthew 15, 29 through 30. And Jesus departed from thence from the region of Tyre and Sidon came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee, we know from Mark that this is the area of Decapolis, and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he what? Healed them. So Matthew tells us about multitudes of people with every form of impairment, with every form of disease and sickness that you can't think of. And people are just flooding to Jesus and he's healing them. I, I mean, just everyone, he's healing them. This was a primary Gentile region. And yet Jesus healed large numbers of people. And Matthew 15, verse 31 goes on to tell us that this activity led them to glorify the God of Israel. Even these who were mainly Gentiles, they're giving glory to the God of Israel because of what Jesus is doing. But when we come to Mark's gospel, Mark doesn't tell us about Jesus healing multitudes. As he often does, Mark zooms in on one, an individual case. Let's read about it in verses 31 through 37. The Bible declares, And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took 
him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, I want us to make it applicable to us. And so instead of he hath done all things well, let's say it this way, Jesus does all things well. Can we say it that way together? Jesus does all things well. Can you say that with conviction? Can you say that in such a way with the assurance that it is true and you believe it? Do we really believe and live like we have a Savior? Like we have a Jesus who does all things well. That means for you and I, when we're on the mountaintop, when it's easy to say that, when we look at, around at our lives and we see all of the blessings and all of the goodness, and it's not just we know that God does all things well or that he is good and he does good, but we're seeing it in our lives. And it's easy to say, our God does all things well. But can we also say it in the valley? When we're not seeing the demonstrations that God's good. When our eyes are blind to the good that God is doing. Can we, in the, that valley and in that moment when it is hard... When God feels disconnected or dis, can we still say with conviction, do we still live? He does all things well. Through our study of this text, I want us to discover the truth that Jesus does all things well. What does this text reveal to us? I want you to see number one. This truth is revealed in the purposeful journey. This truth is revealed in the purposeful journey. Now, we're, we're going to struggle to see this without seeing it. So I'm going to show you a series of maps on the screen. The first one is Jesus, the time, that area during the time. Looking here at kind of northern Palestine. You see some of the regions there, Galilee, uh, Phoenicia, Syria, Trachnitis, and Decapolis further south there in the green that we'll see in a moment. This is kind of the area, northern Israel, during the time of Christ. Jesus has, next slide, he's been here in the area of Gennesaret, uh, early in Mark chapter 7. But then later in Mark chapter 7, Mark reveals to us that Jesus travels northwest to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So next screen is going to kind of show you the direction that he has traveled. So Jesus and his disciples are there in Gennesaret. That's where they have the discussion about what it is that actually defiles a man. They traveled to Tyre and Sidon. And from the scripture, we only know of one thing that happens there. He heals the daughter of the woman who is possessed of a devil. He has that conversation. It's a little bit 
confusing if you don't see it in the light of Scripture. And we saw that last week. But now he goes and he does that one miracle as far as we know. And he travels now from Tyre and Sidon around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Next slide. And comes all the way back down to Decapolis. Now you look at that and it's kind of a roundabout journey. If we were to put it in terms that maybe we would have a good understanding of, Nashville to Rocky Mount's not a difficult journey, is it? You might jump on 64, you might jump on Eastern, which is the same as Sunset, and come on over. But this journey of Jesus would be akin to traveling from Nashville to Rocky Mount of Henderson, Roanoke Rapids, and then down to Rocky Mount. This journey from Gennesaret to Tyre and Sidon and then over to Decapolis, the way Jesus did it, is about 120 miles. And Jesus didn't have a car. They're traveling by foot. In fact, this roundabout way of taking this trip seems so incomprehensible that some commentators are so baffled by it that they actually have decided that Mark didn't know geography very well and actually just got it wrong. There are some Bible commentators you will find that say that. But rather than making that assumption, let's keep something in perspective. While the journey may not seem sensible, Let's remember that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and completely committed to his Father's will. And so can we agree today that everything Jesus did, he did in the fullness of the Spirit and in obedience to the Father's will. Can we agree with that? And if that's true, then this journey that Jesus went on was led by the Spirit of God and it was in fulfillment of God's will. Therefore, this trip was purposeful and it was worth it. And God does this sometimes. Sometimes the journey, and here we have an actual geographical journey. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. If you go back to Exodus chapter 13, we see an Old Testament example of this. The Israelites, when they were delivered from Egypt, could have simply traveled north and east a very short journey and arrived in Canaan, the promised land. But that's not the way they left Egypt. When they left Egypt, they traveled east and more southerly toward the Red Sea. Why? The Bible declares to us in Exodus 13, 17, and 18 that God took them this way because... If they had gone the shorter route, they would have gone right through Philistia, the place of the Philistines, and God was concerned that his people weren't ready. If they saw war that quickly, they would turn and go back to Egypt. So God had a purpose in what seemed to be an unsensible journey. Roundabout way. Now, let's think for just a moment. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, aren't we? We are told that we should be committed to the Father's will, aren't we? 
but we don't have all the information. I'm not taking anything away from Jesus in saying that. But Jesus knew when he came to this world what his purpose was, what, what the God wanted for him. Jesus was completely committed to his Father's will, and he was filled with the Spirit, and we should be too. But I'm going to say to you today, there are times in your life and mine, as God leads in our lives, the journey doesn't make sense. You and I go through experiences. We endure some things. And even as we seek to be led by the Spirit of God, and even as we may be committed to the will of God, if we were honest today, if we were transparent and just told each other the truth, we would say there have been some things that have not made sense. We don't understand all of God's ways, including the ways in which he works in our lives. Though we may not, though, can I say today, we can trust that his ways, the journey he takes us on, is always purposeful and always worth it. Think about this, not just from Jesus' journey from Tyre and Sidon to Decapolis, this roundabout journey, but think of an even more recognizable example of a journey that Jesus took. How about his journey from heaven to earth? Is there anyone here can, that can claim that that makes sense to you? I can't. That Jesus would leave the glories of heaven sent by his father into this world you want to talk about a journey that doesn't make sense that we struggle to grasp and understand how about that journey that's a journey that to us does not make sense and yet i am glad that he made that journey i am glad that our savior came from heaven to earth to live the life that I could not live, to die the death that I deserve and rise again because that was the only way that I could be forgiven of my sin and saved. And so today I can say, though it doesn't make sense to me that he would journey from heaven to earth, I can say that I'm glad that he took that journey because that journey was purposeful and it was worth it for me. You know, there may be some who'd say, I don't understand him leaving Gennesaret to go to Tyre and Sidon and then turn back to come to Decapolis. I can think of at least one person who would say it was worth it. The woman whose daughter he healed would say it was worth it. The daughter who was, who was possessed of a devil would say it was worth it. Those in Decapolis who experienced his ministry to them, remember in a primarily Gentile area, Right after Jesus had told the woman up there in Tyre and Sidon, hey, I'm sent to those of Israel. Praise God he didn't limit his ministry there. He was led by the Spirit. He was committed to the Father's will. And as he makes his way to the capitalist among primarily Gentile people, he is healing anyone who comes to him. And I'm thankful for that. But now I want us to put it in the application of our lives. How about our journey as he leads us and we follow him? Again, if we were transparent with one another today, we would say there have been times in our lives when God has led us in ways that did not make sense. Can you say today, from an experience in your past, maybe it was an experience that's 20, 
30, 40 years old. Some of those experiences from the far past, can we even say now today that we understand completely all that God did or why he did what he did? Let alone past week or yesterday or maybe it's already been today that you have felt distant you have felt disconnected from god or, or you have had that thought of that experience that you've gone through looked at your place in life and how it has changed in the last year or two years how how different your life looks than it did several months ago and you struggle to wrap your mind around as you're committed to him as you're seeking to follow him you struggle to wrap your mind around why the journey has looked the way that it has But can I say to you today, you may not know what God was doing or is doing. You may not know why he has brought you the way he has on the journey. But can I say to you that it is purposeful and always worth it. I may not know all the reasons or understand the wisdom, but I can trust today and you can trust today that he does all things well, the purposeful journey shows us, but I want you to see secondly, how about the personal interaction? We know that he healed many from Mark, from Matthew 15, but Mark zooms in on this specific miracle that is illustrative of the reality that he does all things well. And there's several aspects of it I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see the aspect. At earlier service on Isaiah 35. And I don't know if you caught it, but there in Isaiah chapter 35, we read about a prophecy of the Messiah, of salvation that God would bring. Isaiah 35 comes on the heels of several chapters about judgment. I mean, if you go back and read the several chapters, chapters before Isaiah 35, by the time you get to Isaiah 35, you need a drink of water. You need a break because it's been woe to you and woe to you and woe to you and curse upon you and judgment and death and destruction. And it's like, okay, enough. And then you get to Isaiah 35 and it's that drink of water you need. It's that breath of fresh air that you need as God speaks about his Messiah who will come. And as he speaks of the Messiah there, he, he speaks of some of the the consequences, good, in a good way, the results of Messiah coming. And some of them were the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, the dumb will sing. And it's interesting that, I, that Mark, here he says in verse number 32 that this man who was deaf also had an impediment of speech. The Greek word for impediment is only used here in the New Testament. You won't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. But it is the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament from Isaiah 35 where the Bible speaks of those that are dumb. So Mark saw this particular miracle of Jesus as a figure of, if not a fulfillment of, the work 
of God saving his people from Isaiah 35. And we'll come back to that thought in a few minutes. But there is this prophetic aspect. I want you to see number two. Not only is there this prophetic aspect as we see this personal interaction, but there is the personal aspect. Mark zooms in on an individual. Now remember, Matthew 15, Jesus is healing many. But, G- but Mark zooms in on this one individual. Why? Mark wants to show us, as he often does, that Jesus is not disconnected from the hurts and the needs of the individual. In touching him, Jesus participated with this man's hurt and need and showed compassion for him. Why did Jesus touch him the way that he did? I have no idea. Why did he put his fingers in the man's ear? Why did he spit and then touch his tongue? He clearly was not concerned about COVID. I don't know why Jesus did these things. Why he touched the man the way that he did. But I can say this, in doing so, Jesus was showing this man compassion that he would not find anywhere else. I'm thankful today that in a world filled with problems, in a world filled with people who have hurts and needs, it's a joy to know that Jesus cares for us as individuals. Have you ever been tempted to have this thought, God doesn't have time for my need right now because, I mean, look at the world. Think of all the people in the world. Think of all the problems and all the hurts. And we can, we can often encourage ourselves with this thought, well, someone else is worse off than I am. Have you had that thought before? And that's fine. I, I, I don't have a problem with that thought. Often it saves us from, from having a pity party for ourselves. But at the same time, those types of thoughts should not cause us to think that God is not concerned about us where we are in our personal needs. We have a God who's not just way up there looking down at the world as a whole, but we have a God who gets down right here with us and will meet us where we are, will interact with our personal needs. And what is on your heart, he has on his heart. I'm thankful that we have a Savior like Jesus who came down interacted with us in our brokenness to show us that he cares about the personal needs. But notice, if you would, there's also a prayer aspect. Look at the first part of verse 34, would you? Mark 7, 34. And looking up to heaven, this is speaking of Jesus, it says he what? Sighed. Now, when you think of someone sighing, what do you think about? I mean, you know parent with young children when i think of sighing it's the you know it's that that idea of if jesus were like us you you might think of times when someone comes to you with a need and you kind of you may not do it but you have that feeling in yourself i have to deal with you again i have to help you again is that what jesus is doing here someone comes to him and says hey i have a need no this word is an interesting word. It's also translated in Romans 8.23 and 8.26 in relation to prayer. When Jesus looks up to heaven and sighs here, he's 
praying in part because he is sympathetic to the pain and sorrow that is in the world. And where has that pain and sorrow come from? Sin. Romans 8, 23 through 27, here's what it says. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan. That's the word. Same word, side, in Mark 7. We groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do, do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings. There it is again. Which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's interesting, isn't it? That in Mark 7, Jesus looks up to heaven and he sighs. It's because he's praying, but also he is sympathetic toward the pain and sorrow that has come into the world because of sin. And what do we find in Romans chapter 8? Those of us who know and follow Jesus, we groan as Jesus did. Why? For the same reason. Waiting for the adoption of the, the body, the, the redemption of all creation we're waiting for that time when we're in heaven and our salvation is absolutely complete and god has done away with our sorrow and crying and all pain and hurt and death and all of those things that cause grief they'll be done away he'll remove them why because he makes all things new but in the here and now god is working yes but as we're on the journey it's hard sometimes but friends listen to me we can know that he does all things well and i'm thankful he's given us the resource of prayer as a help as we hope and patiently wait for the end notice fourthly there is a liberating aspect i love this what if the bible tells us happened when jesus healed this man it says, first of all, his ears were unstopped. What does that mean? He could hear again. But then it says it this way, and I love the way it says it. It told us he had a speech impediment. But now in verse number 35, notice what it says. Straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was unloosed. I love that. It has the idea... Of being bound. In fact, in other places in the scripture where you find this language, you find it said of someone who's bound, who's fettered, who's chained, or someone, if they're loosed, the chains are taken off, the fetters are loosed. The, the literal translation of this phrase would be the chains were broken. I love that. This man was deaf. He had a speech impediment, but when Jesus healed him, his ears were opened up. The chain holding his tongue was broken. I love that. The string or the chain that kept this man's tongue is a picture of the curse and condemnation of our sin. 
friends, in our sin, we are chained. We are condemned. We are destined for an eternity in hell apart from God. And that is how the enemy wants us. He wants us chained and he wants us bound, but freed is how Jesus wants us. And that's how he makes us. What's the Bible declare about Jesus? What did he say about himself? If the Son therefore shall make you free, what? Ye shall be free indeed. Hey, go back to Isaiah 35 again. You don't have to turn there, but go back there in your mind. Isaiah 35 again followed several pronouncements of God's judgment. Why is humanity under the judgment of God? Because of sin. And it's a real downer, isn't it? That that's what man has earned through his sin and rebellion. But in the middle of all of that judgment, God comes with a message not of judgment, but of hope. What was that message? Here's what the message was. There is a Savior. Woe to you! Curse on you, judgment on you, destruction on you, death on you. That's what we have earned because of our sin and rebellion. But in the middle of all that death and destruction and judgment and curse and woe is this message. Hey, there's a Savior. You're chained by your sin. You are bound, but he came to set the captive free. What did Jesus declare when he began his public ministry? He quoted also from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. And here's what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus set a man's tongue free. But I'll tell you, he's done something even greater than that. He has broken the chains of the condemnation of our sin. And if you know Jesus today, he's set you free. And if you don't, I want to encourage you to come and believe on him. Then I want you to see the fifth aspect here. There is a praising aspect. Man, when that took place, what happened? Look, look back at verse 37. He, he, he's opened the man's ears. He, he loosed his, the string of his tongue. He broke the chains. And what do the people begin to do? Matthew 15, 31, they glorified the God of Israel. Mark 7, 37, they declared what? He hath done all things well. I mean, when they saw the miracle of Jesus Christ, they said of Jesus, done all things well. In several passages, I want to draw your attention to, to point to this, study that God does all things well. How about Ecclesiastes 3.11? He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Now, don't miss that. Does it say he's made some things beautiful? No. What's it say? He has made everything beautiful again the journey may not always make sense there are experiences of life that you look back on and you might say those experiences are ugly there may be times in your life and mine where we wonder what god is doing but friends don't miss this truth he makes all things beautiful 
in his time. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, that Jesus quoted, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Verse 2 goes on to say, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them what? Beauty for ashes. Oh, my friends, when, when something in life has, has, caused, has burned up, has broken down, when you've gone through an experience that leaves you feeling that way, can I tell you today, we have a God who gives beauty for ashes. We have a God when you mourn, when you're sad, when you are broken, he comes to comfort. And then he goes on and he says, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that what? He might be glorified you may be in that place right now you're disconnected you feel god is distant you're in a place of life where you feel broken and and your dreams are shattered and, and you feel and you sense in your soul the brokenness of your humanity but you have a god who does all things well who can give comfort who can turn that mourning into joy who can turn that heaviness into praise praise him And then, Joel 2, 25 and 26, he says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Maybe it's an ongoing thing in your life. Maybe it's been years that that experience has has weighed you down. That you've been burdened. Maybe it's been an ongoing struggle that you have, have found it difficult to get victory over. Maybe it's, it's something that happened in your life and literally for years you've wasted in regret. You've wasted in bitterness. You've wasted in anger. You've wasted in, in some way away from where the Lord wants you to be. Maybe today God is crying out to you to come to him in recognition that he does all things well. And you think, well, what about these years that I've wasted? What about the time that I've spent not forgiving that person? What about the time I've spent in regret? What about the time I've spent discouraged and not giving to the Lord all that I could have because I've been so discouraged? What does God say to you? I restore the years that the locust is eaten away. The canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I send unto you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt what? Wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. There are two similarities that I want you to see all three of those texts that we just read. Two similarities. Number one is time. He hath made all things beautiful in what? His time. In Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's his time. Here in Joel 
the years that the locust hath eaten away. You know, sometimes as we're on that journey and it doesn't make sense to us, we get a little impatient, don't we? We get a little encumbered by the days, the months, the years. And all the while, God has shown us in his word, hey, I'm working. We said in a message recently, while we wait, God works. While we're in a place, a holding pattern, while we're in a place waiting for God to move, waiting for God to do something, we can begin to think that he's not, that he's distant and unaware but the reality is that while we're waiting, God is working. And I'll tell you right now, there are times it may not make sense, and you may struggle to understand, and you may wonder why God has you where he has you. And can I say that there is this aspect of time. We need to wait a little longer. It may not be until we're in eternity. that we'll understand. But then we see this second aspect through all three of these passages here in Mark chapter 7 as well. Not just time. That wasn't the only consistency. The other consistency through these three passages was praise. If you continue reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you find the preacher talking about giving praise to God. There in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, we read about that. Isaiah, or excuse me, Isaiah 61, where he turns uh, the, the, the morning into the oil of joy. He gives the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In Joel chapter 2, we'll praise the name of the Lord our God who have felt wonderfully with us. In Mark chapter 7, they praised and they said, he does all things well. I mean, they're giving praise to God. And there's going to come a day in his time where we will be able to see, we will be able to Understand, we will have some idea of what God was doing and what He is doing. And in that day, we'll be able to praise the Lord. But I want us to take a step back and I want to remind you of this truth. If we know today that He does all things well, isn't it true that right where we are, right now. We may not understand it all. We may not see it all. We may not have any idea of what God is doing. But if we know and truly believe that he does all things well, isn't it true that right now, in the journey, we can praise him? Right now, there may be hurt and there may be a need in your life, but rest in this truth today. Jesus does all things well. As you reflect today, I am convinced, 
from my knowledge of God's word and my own experience that he does all things well. And I want us, as we reflect on the Lord today and his truth, as we leave this place in a few minutes to go out, not, not just saying he has done all things well, but I want us to go out saying with conviction and belief and living today, he does all things well. So what about you? Like he did for the man who was deaf and had an impediment of speech, Jesus can break the chains of condemnation over your sin. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, believe on him. And if you are a child of God, a follower of Christ, can I remind you again that Jesus does all things well. And so instead of giving our energies and focus to the brokenness instead of giving our energies and focus to the anger the resentment the regret the the mourning the grieving can we turn and give our energies and focus to praising him in recognition that he truly does all things well would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning <clears throat> Stephanie is making her way to the piano, and in just a moment, she's going to begin playing verses of invitation. And here is the invitation today. Child of God, maybe the journey isn't making sense. Maybe the place you find yourself right now is confusing, it's hurtful. Is angering, is lonely. I don't know what it may be for you, but I know what it is to feel those things. Maybe that's where you are right now, and God has spoken to your heart in the midst of it to trust Him. To believe that he does all things well and because of that you can give him praise today maybe today your response to the lord needs to simply be that convicted way of saying lord i know you do all things well and i don't understand it all i don't see what you're doing right here right now but i believe that and because of that i'm going to praise you today maybe you're that one who doesn't know Jesus as your savior right here in this auditorium or watching by way of the internet God is speaking to your heart and you need to respond to him and believe that he died for you can set you free from the condemnation of sin he'll do so if you'll but call on him and ask him